Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome everybody to another episode of the Phil Critics Podcast. I'm Matt Lamborn, standing in for Steve Norman as host for one week only, as he's on his travels in a caravan somewhere, I think <laughs> Mr... Paul Field likes to allude to when he's not around. Is that right, Owen? Yeah, every every time, every time Steve's not here, it's because he's off on um, this caravanning trip. That I'm sure it's probably Paul who's on it with him. We I mean, he goes on about <laughs> that, it. That, that's got the making of an interesting movie, right there. Hopefully, <laughs> Steve has a portable DVD player and a bunch of homework he can do ready for his next appearance on on the podcast. But tonight, I am joined as always by Owen Hughes. Hello. I'm also joined by Brian Plank. Good afternoon. And also by Tony of the X-Cast. Say hello, Tony. <laughs> hello, Tony. Um, and I, I just, as we were talking about um, Stephen Paul's trip, I just, in my head, think of Carry On Behind. I just think of it. It's just, <laughs> that's just what is in my head, basically. There's two characters in Carry On Behind, played by Windsor Davis and Jack Douglas, and just look them up. And Paul will know this reference. But just look them up. That's them too. Anyway, Hello. Yeah, Paul will definitely know that. Paul reference. will know that reference. He's, uh, <laughs> yeah. He's reenacting it as we speak. I'm sure. Excellent. Well, that was a, a very long-winded introduction, but glad to have you all on board and glad to be back in the saddle because I haven't been on the show for a little while. So thanks for having me back, Owen. Yeah, um, welcome back, we... Matt. It's, it has been oh, a long you. time. So it has been. I haven't been on since we did Beavis and Butthead, and that's probably why. <laughs> <laughs> That was a strange but funny episode, wasn't it? But uh, it was it's always nice to be back. Fail Critics is my my home podcast, after all. Well, we've been spreading out onto your own podcast. We had uh, Steve leak over into Footstock, it, didn't we? We did. We did. That was a, a adventurous and eventful. It was always good to have Steve on board, and I think he'll probably come back at some point to talk more FIFA once he's got his head around it because it's a little bit complicated. Uh, but I've also flirted a bit with, with Tony on the X-Cast, which has been hell Yeah, fun. a lot of flirting there. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's almost embarrassing, Matt, the amount of flirting we do. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's, uh, yeah it's good. it was good to have you on. I want to get you back on there soon. Yeah, definitely. So we don't have a whole lot of news this week, as per the normal sort of structure of the Fail Critics podcast. But a couple of things that we definitely do need to talk about. And one is the return of the prodigal son, or writer in, in our case, Mr. Callum Petch, has been very busy on the Fail Critics website at writing about London Film Festival. And if you've never read Callum's writing, it is of epic proportions. Um, he puts in an awful, <laughs> yes, he puts in an awful lot of work and he uses some incredibly descriptive language. So, Owen, tell us a little bit about what Callum's been up to at London Film Fest. He has been... Um 
pretty much seeing everything that he can. I think the, the in total at London Film Festival, there's about two hundred and forty films shown over the twelve days, and I think Callum took in forty of them, um, which is pretty hefty amount, really, if you consider less than two weeks watching forty films, like three or four a day, every day, solidly. Um, and then writing two, three, four thousand word articles about them and publishing them on the same, well, not the same day, but it's, he's getting them written on the same day. It's an it's astonishing achievement. But it's his first attendance as a, a press, as press. He got a press pass for the Hall Fire, um, which is his old university newspaper, radio. And uh, so he's been blagging his way into all these films, elbowing out of the way the likes of Mark Commode and uh, Paul Bradshaw and Robbie Collin, just giving them a quick nudge in the ribs to get to the front of the queue. Uh, and yeah, basically, um, the stuff that's going on the website is, um, pro- is prolific in terms of the number of them that we've been posting. But um, it's also, as you mentioned, it's quite high quality. I really thoroughly recommend people give them a read. But if reading is just not your thing, because, you know, you're listening to a podcast, we have recorded a special London Film Festival podcast, just me and Callum, which was straight after he came back from seeing the new Ben Wheatley film, Free Fire, on Sunday. Um, Literally, as soon as he got his foot through the door, I had him on the phone and we were uh, recording a special podcast, which took in the likes of Ben Wheatley's film, of course, took in Arrival. We're talking Arrival, uh, which I think we're all pretty excited for on the podcast. And uh, Callum himself was was very pleased with it. It is his favourite film of the festival. As well as a few sort of indie films that people might not have heard of. Um, Kate plays Christine and Christine, two films that kind of go in tandem. Um, He was very, very uh, pleased with the way those two turned out. Talked a lot about French cinema. I think there's been a lot of European films that have gone down well at the London Film Festival. But anyway, you can hear all of this on the actual podcast. It'll be about an hour long, released some point this week. So keep your eyes open for that on the uh, the Foul Critics RSS feed or iTunes How many feed times um, did you mention a field in England whilst discussing Ben Wheatley? Just the once. I did sneak it in there just the <laughs> once. I bloody hate that movie. I've, I I think I've seen it about six times in total now. Yeah, I love it. I absolutely love it. But I love Ben Wheatley anyway. So it's um. But I, yeah, generally, genuinely think it's my favourite Ben Wheatley film as well. I feel in England. He's just a great director at the minute. Ooh. Fire. It's an acquired taste, but anyway. So <laughs> that's great, and I'm looking forward to hearing that podcast. That should be. Uh, absolutely juicy as hell so the other thing that we really want to talk about is a bit of news and i'm sure we're all collectively quite excited about this is the star wars rogue one trailer which launched <laughs> in the last few days apart from owen of course because he hates it's star wars so I beg but pardon. carry on knock yourselves out go for it so i'll pass this over to, to brian and to tony what did you think of the Rogue One trailer, my initial reaction to it was that it was an excellent trailer, but I'm very keen to hear what you two have to say. I, I it looks that... like Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we are talking about Star Wars Rogue but, One. But it it looked like what you would expect from a Star Wars trailer or TV show or film. It, I don't like the way that for this entire big universe that could be Star Wars, they're they're stuck in like the ten years around. Or, the 30 or so years around Clone Wars and the first Death Star. 
Like, you could do loads of stuff with this, but you're not. Mm. It seems very small scale and small scope. Mm. So you think it's sort of paying the price for going for more familiarity compared to some of the newer sort of scenes in the the newer movie from The Force Awakens? The Force Awakens was just a, a revisited version of A New Hope. Mm-hmm. Well, it certainly was. Um, but I guess what what it did do is, is it, at least it put the action in places of, in the Star Wars universe we weren't necessarily familiar with, whereas Rogue One seems to be getting to more tried and tested parts of the galaxy that we're used to revisiting. Um, at least that was the impression I got. Tony, what did you make of it? I, I, I've just got to say, I keep hearing this whole The Force Awakens is a new hope thing, and I don't get it. I, I, I understand, I do understand it, but I just don't think it's true. I, I really don't. But that's a, that's a separate that's a separate issue. Um, but the um, the Rogue One, I, I I liked it. I thought it was good. It hasn't blown me away like the Force Awakens trailers did, simply because it's not got Han Solo in it and Chewbacca. Let's be honest, right? But um, there was just something special about that those trailers. But I think it's good. I'm not a big fan of Felicity Jones, especially after Inferno. For fuck's sake, but we'll get there. Um, <laughs> but like. She- <laughs> She's she's uh, not the greatest actress, but it's got a really good cast. It looks different from the Force Awakens. I, you know, they are they are tapping into you know on territory that people are going to be familiar with by putting it where it is. You know, it's the it's like when Star Trek Discovery next year does a series that's very close to the original series of Star Trek in terms of time. You know, it's the same kind of thing. They're sort of playing in the same field because it's familiar. You can get Darth Vader in there. You know, all that. But so I understand why they're doing that. But I don't know. I think it looks good. I think it looks it looks different. And I think they own, the only way that this is going to work with this anthology idea is if each film has its own flavour. And I think Rogue One will, even though there's a lot of talk about reshoots, you know, trying to make it a bit more Star Warsy. But who knows? We'll have to wait and see if that's true. Really. Yeah, I liked it. I I've have, I've just not watched it at all. Which I guess isn't I'm surprising shocked. to people who've ever listened to this podcast. But um, uh, part of me thinks, well, I am going to see it in the cinema. Um, as much as uh, that will be fruitless because I think Steve is planning to kick me off the podcast again like he did last year for um, for Star Wars. But I just think that it it's it's one of these that it, it doesn't need any additional hype, does it? I mean, it's going to smash it at the box office it's going to have fans going to see it anyway the trailer's not going to convince anyone who's not going to see it to go and see it i just think it's just going to be i just couldn't be bothered to to waste any time on it in all honesty i think that it's a bit overblown all this hype <laughs> what a, a new big budget release overhyped how dare you <laughs> yeah and shock and horror um but uh what what did you make of um the the idea that it's going to be because it's it, this one's like a prequel right it's not actually part of yeah it's I not think a this continuation is set literally of, um, just before the events of a new hope isn't it and that's the the impression i get yeah and it's a, i think it's it's a, it's an unexplored part of, of the timeline which people will, will will clamor to because their memories of the new hope are probably uh much more endearing and nostalgic to them than anything that's come since say Empire Strikes Back, for for example, so I think people are uh, excited about revisiting this part of the timeline, something where Darth Vader is still alive or, or thriving in his more robotic form, for lack of a better word. And I think his presence in the trailer alone sealed it as uh, a massive nerdgasm for most Star Wars fans. So um, in that respect, it's 
very successful, but you don't have to do too much of a Star Wars trailer to, to generate hype. It's, it's play the classic music, it's show the faces of, of the protagonist, let's drop a recognisable baddie in there, some sort of inspiring speech, and, and we're off to the races, and that's what Star Wars is in a nutshell. So I wouldn't say it's spoiler-ridden, but you, you get a good flavour for exactly what the film's going to be about straight away which is it's fine by me. Anything that gets people excited to go and see a film can only be a good thing. Mm. Well, I thought the teaser trailer for um, uh, the last one worked better than the actual trailer because that was just the one with the crushed um, or melted uh, Darth Vader helmet, wasn't it, the teaser? And then you saw the the new lightsaber thing and I thought, you know what, they've made it look quite cool. Whereas the actual trailer came out, it was just a generic action blockbuster trailer, which didn't do anything for me. Um, yeah, there's so. something else in the trailer as well that's Easter eggy that I don't know if you guys picked up on, and there was a, a, a glimmer of what looked like a half buried statue in the sand of someone holding a lightsaber, looked like it was from like a Jedi temple or something like that. Ooh. Did you guys pick up on that or have any thoughts about it? No, I didn't see that. Yeah, it's it's almost akin to something like in Lord of the Rings, you know, when they sail through that archway of the two giant statues. Um, when they're on the way to, is it Gondor, I think? There's something buried in the sand. You can just sort of see like a, a, a face carved into rock and it's half concealed by sand. And it is something that people have been talking about online as to what exactly it is. And that's obviously going to have some high significance in, in the film once it's out and we've, we've seen it. Um, but I'm not sure what conclusions to draw on it. Not being a massive Star Wars fan, as much as, say, Steve is, mm-hmm. um, he might have more of an idea about what that is. But if, if you guys didn't see it, then we can't talk about it, but never mind. <laughs> well, you know what? Star Wars might come up a bit later on the podcast anyway. We'll be oh, about triple bill. <laughs> <laughs> Spoiler alert. Yeah, because we're doing the triple bill this week, obviously, without doing, which is inspired by Inferno. In without, I haven't seen it. I didn't watch Angels and Demons, but I saw the Da Vinci Code, and that was enough for me to think film franchises that should have stopped before they reached a trilogy. Hence, our triple bill this week. Um, so we've got a few suggestions from people, and uh, you know, I don't know how tongue in cheek it was or whether it was serious, but you know, Star Wars did get a, a quick mention once or twice. I think that's to be expected, whether whether it's the original trilogy or the sequels or prequels mm. or other. Mm. It's not a surprise that, that that sort of drops in there at all. I mean, I like Jedi, um, but then again, I didn't see A New Hope as the first entry in, in Star Wars, so it doesn't hold any kind of overwhelming sure. um, providence compared mm-hmm. to Empire and, and Jedi. Um so I, I feel I can be slightly more objective about it than the typical Star Wars fan. But it doesn't surprise me that they're mentioned. So on to what we've been watching. Um, there's not been a huge amount of exciting new movies out in the last week or so, but good old normal TV and Netflix always delivers and I know at least one thing that some of our guests are very keen to talk about so I'm going to hand it over to, to Brian, I believe you've been uh, dusting off your spurs in the world of the West 
for lack of a better term. Why don't you tell us about this uh, fantastic new HBO series? Not just dusting off spurs, been sitting on my couch in a leather vest and chaps. It's been great. Nice. <laughs> beautiful, um, beautiful picture. <laughs> I, I like Westworld. I'm pretty sure I don't understand it. <laughs> you, someone said, you know the bit in The Simpsons where Homer watches Twin Peaks and he smiles and said, I have no idea what's going on. Mm-hmm. That's where I am just now. I get the impression that it's one where when you get to the end of season three, you go back and watch this, you go, oh, of course. But I think there are a lot of clues being put in for stuff we have no idea what we're looking for just now. I think it wants to be a big mystery show in, as well as telling a story. But, spoilers, it uses a lot of tricks for telling stories without making it clear it's using tricks. Um, like there's at least two different timelines going on in this and they're decades apart but it it never tells you that that's the thing that people reckon they've worked out online based on this bit and this bit and this bit um, now have you guys seen the, the original movie of Westworld before we get into the, the meat and bones of the new series yeah, I, I, I watched have. it years ago because it's Jurassic Park with, with, with Cowboys yeah, it's Michael Crichton, it is. isn't it? So yeah, <laughs> mm. it's like a first draft of Jurassic Park. Yeah, that's a, a fair way of putting it. Now, I've watched the first two episodes of Westworld, and without spoiling it too much to people, absolutely loved it. I think it's it's got the the hallmarks of being another classic HBO series, which is great. Um, I didn't get too much of the vibe of the movie. It almost seems like it's taken the premise. But it's doing something very different within the confines of this Wild West universe that it's set in, of course. Um, but Owen will know what I'm talking about here. Have you watched the new series, Owen? No. No, I haven't, okay. because well, it's HB- Sky Atlantic, isn't it? I have just haven't got that channel anymore. Right, okay. When you eventually get round to watching it, because I'm sure you will do. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I recommend you do, because it's great. Um, it gives off a very heavy vibe of Ghost in the Shell and, and Ex Machina. Okay. In terms, in terms of the what it's exploring with the purpose of life for these artificial um, intelligence life forms that they've got acting as hosts in their Wild West Park, and it's about their their sort of breakdown from everyday normality. They start to to basically wonder why they're doing what they're doing on a day to day basis, day in day out, and certain little things occur in the park which basically glitched them out. I think that's probably the the right way of putting it. And it's just absolutely spectacular. Um, it's just a shame I have to wait week on week because this is one of those shows <laughs> I could definitely binge on if it was readily available right now, but unfortunately that's not the case. But I think Brian has watched one more episode than myself and Tony. Yes, so I maybe have done. You've got a bit more to tell us about uh, your enjoyment of it. I, it's one that's really frustrating because they're... Like within the timeline, there's also stories of people in the park and then the behind-the-scenes stuff. And the behind-the-scenes folk are all awful because they all have, here's my own problem. I'm not going to share it with anybody. I'll keep it to myself and hope it doesn't fuck up anymore. It's going to. And watching that bit is frustrating, thinking, okay, dramatically, this is what you want, but you should be doing it this way. Um, I like... I also... And maybe I don't like... It's difficult to work out the rules for Westworld and for how people like how the hosts work how much of it is what is given to them 
how do you go through loops? I mean, some characters' loops last only a day. Poor Dolores has one day that she does again and again and again, and it's not a good day to go through. Some characters go off on big treks and have long loops. Are they not going to notice that Dottie or Dolores is doing the same thing every single day? And because it's one where I think it wants you to investigate further into what Westworld is, I'm a bit annoyed that it's not giving me a clear view on what Westworld is. I, it's I, given me some bits and some bits that don't match up and that's frustrating me more than anything else just now. I think at this stage that's the point though. I mean, you know, from the two I've seen, there's a sense of disorientation about what's happening from different viewpoints and, um, you know, in that there are people... In the second episode, we, it starts with actual visitors to the park and you see their entry point to the whole experience. So it's playing with mm-hmm. different versions of what people are aware of, different re- ideas of what reality is. I mean, I, I think it's phenomenal. I mean, I, I thought the pilot was the best pilot since Lost in 2004. I think I thought it was magnificent. I'm cautious. of get, I, I dodged Lost on the grounds that I don't have the energy for something like this. And I'm, I don't know if I've got the energy for Westworld if it becomes something like that as well. Well, I, I think, I, I don't know. I mean, it, it could be. I mean, you know, Lost divides everyone. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a lost Losty or a lost or whatever you call them, right? I, I lapped it up. It was the, it was the show that like like the X-Files, they were two shows that actually people every week just lapped up and dissected ridiculously. You know, people have done the same with Game of Thrones, you know. And now I think Westworld is the next one. It's one of those shows that's constructed in such a way and that there's so many things going on in so different many different levels already in two episodes. It's people are going to be on picking this for years. There's already about ten podcasts about Westworld that have cropped up already, <laughs> and it's. It, I just, I just think it's, it, it's brilliant because it's, it's talking not just about a story in this park and about you know the the ideas of of reality and, and all this, it, but it's, it's talking about narrative as well. It's all about the idea of a meta narrative and that you've got people writing what's happening to not just these characters but the people who are experiencing this real world event. And it's it's the future of gaming, you know. It's it's the reality gaming that we will be doing in twenty, thirty years, where people build constructions and you go and you play these parts. And it's 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 that combined with this idea of religion and this idea of if you know if you go somewhere like this, what's real? What is reality? Is the reality what you make it, or is it what? It's it's fascinating. There's loads and loads to it, and I think I think it's going to be a huge hit. Wow, that's a, a look into the future of PlayStation Ten from Tony. There, have you guys um, <laughs> picked up um, on on the little snippets of music that are playing, particularly when they're in like the bar areas? Um, yeah, there's like little piano tunes going on, and it's because obviously yeah. Westworld is set in the future, and we're we're in an artificial reality of somewhere in like the 1800s or early 1900s with the Wild West, and then you have these sort of like modern day little piano tunes going on like I can't remember once in the first episode but I noticed in the second um, one they were playing No Surprises by Radiohead I think the first on one piano was in the Black Hole oh, Sun by yeah, I, I, Black Hole that's Sun. right that's it's it great, yes, yeah. that's correct yeah. <laughs> and I just love listening out for these little easter eggs they're great I knew it was I Radiohead but I didn't know what the song was there's a, a bit on the Jonathan Nolan saying that he took inspiration for stuff like Red Dead Redemption Elder Scrolls Skyrim and Bioshock Infinite and those last two words make me interested and that's one where they've taken modern music and done it in like a ragtime or a a 1920s sort of version so 
I can see that. I did notice that the guy who does the score is Ramin Jawadi, who did the scores for Iron Man and Pacific Rim, which is a very sort of industrial feeling. This has some bits of industrial machinery sound to it, but also it's much gentler. It's got lots of strings and pianos. Stuff, yeah. I'm a big thing. fan of, of what they're, they're trying to do there, and I'm really looking forward to seeing more of Westworld. So if you guys at home who are listening have been watching Westworld, let us know what you think of it. Maybe send us a tweet at Critics and let us know how you're getting on with it. We'd love to know more. So I think that sort of wraps it up for, for what we've been watching, unless we've got more to talk about Netflix-wise. Anyone got anything they want to discuss? Well, I was going to just throw in very quickly about Mascots, the new Christopher Guest comedy, because I haven't finished watching it, and that's partly why I want to talk about it, because, um, do you, I mean, Christopher Guest, if I say Christopher Guest to you guys, you know who I'm talking about, right? Yeah. This uh, is Spinal Tap, Best, best, in, best show. in Show. Yeah. So um, we know that he can make just phenomenal comedy, like proper hilarious laugh-out-loud comedy, um, unfortunately, Mascots was the complete opposite. You know when someone makes a mockumentary and it goes badly because it's just so tedious, you've got really boring characters and it seems to be trying so desperately hard to make you like or even care about the, the people by giving them horrible, quirky edges. Um, that was basically Mascots. Uh, I just really found it a, a slog to make it to the halfway line. And I don't mean that because uh, it was just, there weren't any laughs. The word laughs in it, uh, it's just, it's just hard work watching that film. I really wanted to like it. It's written by um, Jim Piddock, who features in it as well, uh, who's a British um, actor and, and writer. And, you know, it just it you can see where it's it's more British in terms of its humour than uh, like Best in Show and This is Spinal Tap are. But it's like a weird it, they're like two pieces of a jigsaw that are just not fitting together, um, which is which is a, a real shame. Uh, it's got decent cast in it as well. People who should be funny. Um, Zach Woods is in it, who's from uh, In the Loop and Ghostbusters and Silicon Valley. Um, and it features uh, Tom Bennett, who I guess most people will know from Phone Shop, but he was in Brent Life on the Road earlier this year as well, as David Brent's mate in the office, um, who again should be funny in this, and he's got a... It's just, it pushes everything just a bit too beyond being funny. Like, um, like the fact that he's only got one ball, and then he sings, you know... I've only got one ball. The other is on the Albert Hall. I mean, it's it's just it's it just doesn't work. It just it's not it's just not clever. It's not great, um, which pains me to to say that. Even like Chris O'Dowd's is in it, and he's not very good. Parker Posey, Sarah Baker. I mean, like I say, I could reel off all these names, but there's there's no point. I didn't even make it in far enough into the film to see Harry Shearer, and uh, I'm I'm not sure. I'll be going back to finish it. Because when we were putting together the agenda for this podcast at the end of last week or start of the weekend, I was like, yeah, I've seen half of it. I'll probably finish it before we get to the recording. I just I just couldn't muster up the enthusiasm. I couldn't do it. Have, have either of have any of you guys seen it or have you got plans to watch it or had you had plans to watch it? Not massively. No. No, not really. No? Oh, well. <laughs> 
Sorry. I thought it was quite hyped. I thought it was quite um, one of these very expected, uh, highly anticipated uh, Netflix originals. Um, but, you know, looking online, IMDb have got it as 6 out of 10 on average. Um, most of the user reviews on there have ranked it one or two stars. Um, it's just it's just really disappointing. But other than that, no, I don't really have anything else Netflix related to talk about. Can I, can, Unless, Tony, you wanted to fill us in on Luke yeah, Cage. Yeah, just quickly, um, I've watched the first four uh, of Luke Cage, which is obviously the new Marvel series set in the uh, the Hell's Kitchen Defenders universe with Daredevil and Jessica Jones and Iron Fist next March, which, the trailer mm-hmm. which came out recently. Is he related to, to Nick Cage? Uh, sadly not, no, un- unless that's to come. <laughs> unless that's a, tw- a twist. Nick Cage picked his name because of Luke Cage. Obviously. That's, Is that that's right? why he had his screen name, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fantastic nice. knowledge. Yeah, yeah, and he yeah. called his son Cal L because yeah. he just loves comic books. And because he's fucking mental as well. But uh, yeah, it's a shame we never got to see him as Superman. <laughs> I know. In, uh, no, it's <laughs> <laughs> no, it's um, not. No, it's not. But yeah, no. it's 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 really it's really good so far. And I think what I like about it is, like all of these Defenders shows, and they've not all been brilliant. Like Daredevil season two was a bit wank. You know, Jessica Jones was great. What's still the best one so far? But Luke Cage is, is basically a black exploitation film stretched over thirteen episodes and set in the modern day. It's got it's got an almost entirely black cast, which is terrific. It's got a the the coolest theme tune in the world. I've been whack 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 wow for like two days annoying my girlfriend. <laughs> it's so it's just it's just such a cool show. Really quite sexy. Really, quite you know. Um, there's a lot. There's a lot of drama to it as well. It's it's just it's just cool. It's cool telly. It's not amazing. I don't think it's going to be as good as Jessica Jones. Although I think it'll be, be it's better than already better than Daredevil season two. But yeah, if you if you're a fan of Marvel, you'll really like it because it's not too comic booky. You know, you can watch this if you're not even if not a massive comic book person. So yeah, check it out. It's great. Great stuff. Thank you for that, Tony. Okay, we're going to take a very quick break and then we're going to be back with our triple bill for this week. All right, so this week's triple bill in honour of Inferno getting released this week and, of course, this is the third in the sequence of Ron Howard-directed Tom Hanks movies from stuff like... What are they now? Angels and Demons and Da Vinci Code and blah, blah, blah. We decided we're going to have a look at uh, trilogies of movies where perhaps the third one was a stretch too far and they shouldn't have bothered. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Okay, it. great stuff. So, Owen, why don't you start us off and tell us about trilogies that you think should never have made it to stage three? Okay. Um... I when I was trying to put together this list, actually, <laughs> I do what I, I mostly always do when I'm writing a trilogy and a, a triple bill. Sorry, and I I ask my wife, I ask Elisa. So what? You what asked your wife for a triple bill? bill? That's dangerous ground, mate. Yeah, well, I said which film franchises shouldn't have reached a trilogy, and she went uh, all of them. <laughs> I was like, oh, <laughs> right, okay. Um, but then I thought about it a bit more on my own. <laughs> and I came up with Jurassic Park to start with. Yeah. Um, which is, uh, you know, for anyone who's been living under a rock, adapted by Steven Spielberg, um, based on the Michael Crichton sci-fi novel. And um, it's the, the first film is almost the perfect adventure movie. I think it, it came out at a time where 
it was, it, you know, they, the, Spielberg's on record as saying he waited until he could make this. You know, he wanted to know that it was going to be done right. And one of the things that meant that he knew that he could do it right were um, the special effects that were available to him through the uh, company Industrial Light and Magic, and specifically through a guy called Dennis Murren, who uh, worked on Star Wars originally. I think that was his first big break, doing the special effects on there. But he he also worked on Terminator 2, um, which is, you know, famed for its its special effects because they were groundbreaking. And so um, it was basically a combination of the right time to do it and the right uh, technology available to do it. Now, the sequels, <laughs> less a combination of the right time and right technologies because The Lost World, uh, which is it came out in 97, is based on a novel that was only written to facilitate the sequel being made. Now, it was the only reason that there was a novel written by Michael Crichton. And uh, consequently, it's utter rubbish. Um, so I guess it's no surprise, really, that the film turned out to be so bad. And, you know, the, uh, it was just, it just, uh, it, did, it had some memorable bits in it. Lo the Lost World had some memorable bits there. You know, the keep out of the long grass. I mean, I, re I remember I used to... Um, play out with friends when I was a kid and you know I was probably 10 years old when The Lost World came out and we saw it and it was amazing uh, when you were 10 years old and you think oh the raptors were in the long grass and we had a, a disused quarry we used to play in and um, I can remember you know just it was a game and it was fun and then you watch it as an adult and you think my god this film is not great it's not even good it's pretty bad actually and it's it's just an overall disappointment stuff like bringing the t-rex back to san diego was just naff <laughs> you know i knew it when i was 10 the second half of that film mm, yeah i mean it's a bit it's a bit crap and uh it still is very crap and uh, it's just yeah i mean if the lost world was a cash in though if that was a cash in jurassic park 3 was just a tramp with a begging bowl by comparison <laughs> <laughs> what an analogy because it was not even Spielberg was involved with that. It was directed by Joe Johnston, and both it and Jurassic World, which came out last year, which I also thought was a bit crap. They both suffered from the same problem of thinking that the T Rex and the Raptors just weren't enough. So let's make them bigger, and let's make them smarter, and let's make them more deadly, and we'll have bigger dinosaurs that are smarter and scarier even yeah, still. Dinosaur aficionados like Jurassic Park 3 because of Spinosaurus, or the fight it has where it just destroys the T-Rex. Yeah. They like it, has... it just for that. Everything else, utter shit. Yes, and the flying dinosaurs that are in it. Um, which I don't think dinosaurs ever really flew. I don't think they're technically dinosaurs, but... I don't know what... The pterodactyl a bit. The right? pterodactyl's a dinosaur. Exactly, yeah. So, um, basically, it it, basic, it just goes, fuck off to any story. This is just about dinosaurs fighting each other. It's an excuse to get Alan Grant back to the island, but pff, who cares, really? And for that, I think it's a, a completely shallow and baseless movie, and it, it's not even entertaining on a um, dinosaurs clashing level. Well, um, you know, like I said, the first is a near-perfect adventure movie. It hasn't been bettered in the genre since. I, it surpassed everything that came before it. Um, so just leave it be. As much as I would personally love to visit a real-life Jurassic Park, despite, you know, 
<laughs> the film painting a very clear picture that it would not go well. Um, I don't care. You know, every time I watch the film, I just get chills down the back of my neck when the John Williams score hits. I, and every single time, I know why, but I do wonder why we can't bring dinosaurs back, for fuck's sake. Just why? <laughs> it's there. <laughs> just use the technology. It's apparent. Um, apparently available, but yeah. So I'd rather it just stayed the perfect film rather than have the poor sequels tarnish the uh, magic of the original. Mm. Now, you were talking about The Lost World and mm-hmm. Michael Crichton movie book adaptations being sketchy ground. Did you ever see Congo? Oh, mm. oh that's not very good. I don't think that so. Is, that, that is not very good. Uh, <laughs> and and that is another sort of Lost Worldy-esque type movie where there's this civilization of apes living outside of the realm of mankind. And that is... It's got the guy out of Nip Tuck in it as well, which is slightly weird casting in retrospect. But anyway, yeah, that's another really bad one that, that Michael Crichton's... Uh, Probably very good book. I've not read it, but I'm going to give him the benefit of that because Jurassic Park was so good. But yeah, mm. the, the book's decent, I think. Yeah, yeah. The film, not so much. Same for <laughs> Sphere. Sphere was a decent-ish book and not a good film. Andromeda Strain is the same, isn't it? Isn't that his most lauded book? But the film's trashed at every corner. I don't think I've read that. No, but did it was like years ago. Okie dokie. Let's move away then from. Jurassic Park. Um, I'll go next if that's okay. And um, the first trilogy that I would like to discuss, uh, and this almost pains me to to like this one because the first two I really like, and it's Child's Play. <laughs> okay. I don't know if we have any crossover. I'm going to guess not. Um, but no. anyway, this immediately came to mind when when Owen sort of gave me the mandate to come up with a, a flawed trilogy, if you like. And I have to admit, the first two movies are kind of personal favourites of mine of the sort of horror genre at least anyway and what I like about them is that they they really prey on the sort of irrational fear of odd looking children's toys that do something well that they should you should have absolute faith in them that they could never be dangerous and obviously they end up being so in this movie and it's kind of relevant now with this sort of killer clown uh, craze that's going <laughs> on it kind of plays on the same sort of emotional fragility in people um, but uh, Brad DeReef who acts as the character who becomes the Chucky doll and then eventually voices the character uh, later in the film. He's probably one of my favourite, if not my absolute favourite, lesser-known actors. And me and Tony talked about him on on the X-Cast for the Mm. um, Beyond the Sea episode, which was one of my favourite X-Files. And he's just as brilliant in that. He's he's equally as good in in child's play as a a very freaky individual. He's also Um, in uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, isn't he? Oh Jack yes, Nicholson's that's mate. right. Yeah, mm. absolutely. Yeah, and so I think he, is he is he in Exorcist three as well? Was he? I think he might be in Exorcist three, which is a surprisingly good film, considering Exorcist two was diabolical. And he's Wormtongue in Lord of the Rings. Yes, yes. No, I don't like yeah. him in that one. But I guess he plays the role well. But I just don't like the character. Where he kept his his accent up all the time, and Peter Jackson didn't realize that he was some guy from the southern states. He only <laughs> dropped it after recording. Hmm. There you go. That's what the the quality of the man? Just full of trivia tonight, Brian. You're just yeah. laying it on. It's almost like he knew what I was going to talk about. It's crazy. <laughs> I just love Brad Dourif. <laughs> yeah, he is. He is great. Uh, more people should should know who he is, but uh, unfortunately they don't. But maybe we can champion him on our respective podcasts. But anyway, so 
The first two films uh, are pretty good. The first one being particularly chilling uh, if you're into that sort of genre. Uh, and then it all goes horribly wrong in part three as it inevitably does as per this particular section of the podcast. Um, part three was a desperate cash-in on a cult franchise if there ever was one. The script and the storyline were pretty awful with it being set in a military academy because our grown-up protagonist Andy struggling to adapt to life. He can't get a foster home and all this bollocks. So, yeah, let's just stick it in the military academy. Whoopie-doo. Pretty boring. Uh, And in conjunction with its faults, it was also suffered from really bad timing in terms of of its release. It came not too long. Um, I think it came just before, I beg your pardon, the James Bolger murder. And apparently uh, there's the scenes from the movie whereby... I don't know if they were imitated, but they certainly share some circumstances and what happened in that particular tragedy, which caused it to then get banned in the UK. So it, it never really um, got off the ground, put it that way. And as such, it was pretty much universally condemned as a modern video nasty, even though I think evidence has come to light since then that what happened in that particular case was nothing to do with the movie, but it was just remarkably similar, unfortunately, in very sad circumstances. And it took a long time for the for the series to sort of get over this um, very negative light that was portrayed on it through that incident. And it was many, many years after part three that they ditched the whole Child's Play franchise and went for the Bride of Chucky series instead, which is a little bit more lighthearted, if you like. But um, yeah, first two, great. Part three, not so good. So, yeah, that'll be my first entry. So I'll pass it over to Tony. What have you got for us? We're going to pop back to the uh, Steven Spielberg universe uh, this time. Not directly as director, but I want to throw in Men in Black. (laughs) Okay. Which I think the first film is great. Classic 90s sci-fi comedy. Really, really love the first film. Came out at that period when I was 14, 15 years old. I was in love with the X-Files. It was all UFOs, aliens. It was great. And then five years later, the sequel comes along with uh, Linda Fiorentino as an agent. And uh, I think it was Lara Flynn Boyle as the villain, the villainess. Um, and it just la- it had none of the first film's charm at all. It was just a cash-in sequel that was five years like too late it just felt like it had come a little bit too late this is the thing with the many black films they always turn up at really random times when they don't seem to be mm. relevant anymore um if you were going to do a many black sequel which you didn't need to do anyway even though obviously it cues up a, a suggestion of a franchise the jnk and you know the idea of the many black you know it'd make a good tv show probably um i'm surprised they didn't do that but you know, I can understand why they would do a sequel, but by the time it came round, it was just watered down. It was weak. And then the third one comes around, and I will say the third one is better than the second one, which isn't hard. But then the third one has, like, Tommy Lee Jones in about 15 minutes of it. And yeah, okay, Josh Brolin mm-hmm. does a really good Tommy Lee Jones. Don't get me wrong. He's, re- he's really good. I have a nitpick about the timeline of that film because it seems to suggest that Will Smith was about 10, 12 years old in 1969, which would make him about 55. And I don't buy it <laughs> right at all. Um, but it was 
it was just again when did that come out was it 2012 2013 i think something 2012 2012 yeah so you're talking 10 years Mm. later this is the point where okay tommy lee jones has always been consistently you know a good character actor in films but will smith hasn't made a good film probably since ali i would say i would venture Mm. um so that for me, Men in Black Three was his best film since Ali, um, and he hasn't particularly made anything good for years. He hasn't been particularly brilliant since the nineties in films he's done, and he hasn't done that many. So I don't know. I just I just think it was a wasted opportunity. If you were going to do Men in Black, have it, and it was by all the same people. It's Barry Sonnenfeld directing all three, the same kind of writers and producers involved. Steven Spielberg at the back of it, but the both those sequels had none of the first film's fun or charm for me. And I'm, I just think, what a shame, because that first Men in Black film is cracking. It's a great 90s comedy. So, yeah. I hope they don't, I hope they don't do this Men in Black Jump Street crossover. That's all I can say. Oh, it's happening, I think. Oh, God. It's going to happen. Just leave it. Yes, nothing is sacred today, no. unfortunately. Uh, Brian, why don't you tell us a little bit about your first trilogy that you're condemning? It's one of quite like it's the oceans trilogy so start with oceans 11 12 and 13 oceans 13 is all right oceans 11 i really love it's a great heist film it's got a bit where you get the gang together a bit where you plot the heist and then a bit where the heist goes off and everything works you you pay attention you get rewarded it's fantastic oceans 13 is doing that same idea, but you already know what the gang is. It's just trying to do a bigger and bigger heist. And Ocean's 12 has that Julia Roberts scene. And, oh, I sometimes think about, oh, maybe I should watch Ocean's 12. I've not seen, no. Because it's got by far the worst thing I've ever seen in a big cinema. For those that don't know it, the gang reckon that because Julia Roberts' character looks like Julia Roberts, they'll play on that and cause a big press distraction. Then she bumped into actual Bruce Willis, who mistakes her for Julia Roberts. And it's awful, and it's cringy, and it's... like I, I quite like that in the first one, they're all having fun doing their stuff. And in the third one, they're all just having fun out hanging out together. But someone should have taken a big step back in the second one and gone... The first film worked because it was tight, it had location, it had lots of things that worked together... The second one, we've got rid of all of that. We're still having fun, but we're not making a good film. And it's a shame because, I'm, like I said, I really love the first one. I watched it about four times in the first year it came out, both at the cinema and then soon they came out on DVD. And I've watched it. Like, if I feel sick, I just want to put a film on, I'll put that on. Because it's really... It, it's got a, a funky soundtrack. I'm doing a little chair dance. It's got good lines. It introduces characters really well. Like the, the bit where Danny walks into his parole hearing and then goes up the escalator, you go, right, I know who that character is. The other characters in the gang introduce them. You go, I've got a handle on... They're not particularly deep, but I know what their role is in the film and in this heist. Everyone's got a job to do. Everyone does it. It moves like a, a clockwork machine. It's satisfying to watch in the way that the second one was not because they did the heist off camera. That seems pointless. I don't, I don't think I've ever seen 2013. 20, not 2013, Ocean 13. 
Ocean's 12 is the one with Eddie Izzard, though, right? With the Ocean's, holographic... Ocean's 13 thing. is the one with Eddie Izzard. Oh, look, maybe I have seen that one, then. 12 is the yeah. one where they all dress up in Arsenal tracksuits. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, mm. are you condemning that trilogy at movie number two rather than movie number yeah. three? Yeah, movie number three is like a, a course correction. But it's not a course correction, it's just, we'll make the first film, but we'll make it bigger. Which is... Okay. Mm-hmm. Meh. It's, it's, it went a bit home alone-ish. <laughs> and like, we'll, we'll just take a... Well, we'll take a blueprint and we'll just do it, but with bigger stunts. And why not? If it works, And you're telling it me that didn't work. Don't believe it. Harsh. Oh, dear. Okay, back to Owen. What's your, your second of uh, dodgy trilogies? Unlike with Jurassic Park, I am more than happy that there was a sequel to The Godfather. In a lot of ways, <laughs> it was a better movie. Oh, you know? God. I do, I, although I do prefer the first Godfather. However, Godfather Part 3, released in 1990, is fucking atrocious. It is <laughs> appalling. Um, I, okay, so what happened was Francis Ford Coppola's films throughout the 80s just flopped hard. Um, so I guess he probably felt a bit forced by the studio into making Godfather Part 3 and they probably felt a bit forced into making it to it well they probably didn't feel forced they were the ones forcing it um, and it really shows it feels like a forced movie it is not a film of passion I don't think um, it's the most pointless waste of three hours three fucking hours anybody can spend and you can watch and enjoy the first film without ever needing to see another Right? Yet Godfather Part 2 improves the original by being so bloody good and providing the, the, the kind of complementary story to it whilst simultaneously neatly wrapping everything up in a pretty little bow anyway. Well, mm. It's, not it's in my bit. top three still, Godfather yeah. 2. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, well, I'm not surprised. and I, You know, I don't blame you. It's, it's, it's an absolutely awesome movie. You know, the way it progresses the story of Michael Corleone and, and or regresses him, I guess, depending on how you, you want to, to view it. It's just, it just makes for an incredible story overall. Then along comes part three, which just shits all over everything. And I, I know it was a troubled production, you know, with the, the death of um, Rebecca Schaefer and all, um, whose role was eventually taken by Sofia Coppola, Frank Francis Ford Coppola's daughter. Um, I mean, you could hardly call her an actress. I think she's not really known as being an actress. And it is one of these things that everybody likes to rag on Godfather 3, 4. But it's true. She's just terrible in it. It just doesn't suit it at all. But then you even get like Al Pacino, who's just like a fucking husk as well. And it's just so forced. It's horrible. It's joyless. It's soulless. It's uninspiring. Um, For me, he seems to, because so much time passed between the making of part two and part three, he's almost forgotten uh, the cold calculating, the bit that makes the Michael Corleone character so terrifying, uh, yet compelling to watch it, completely gone by by part three. It's almost like Al Pacino himself at this point has pretty much gone crackers. Yeah. And he he has no no resemblance to the person (laughs) who, who played... Michael Corleone in the first two films at all. 
Mm. No, he doesn't. You're right, he doesn't. And, he, you know, I guess it's because they're trying to make him... Uh, well, he's always been a family man of sorts, but they're trying to make him the responsible father who's obviously not re- that responsible. Um, it just doesn't work. It just feels very soap opera-y, uh, soap opera-esque. And um, the, the writing's just so all over the shop. It's, there's no consistency. There's no pace to it. Um, you know, the, the, the only thing that people remember it for is the, you know, just when I thought I was out, you pull me back in line. And maybe the gunning down of certain characters, which I won't spoil in case anybody goes, I'm going to put myself through that film because I've never seen it before. More fool you. But um, it's just, it's just... <sighs> Yeah, I, I I get cross thinking about it. It's it, I guess it did what it was supposed to do, which was, you know, turn around Francis Ford Coppola's failing fortunes, um, because it was a successful movie, in at least how it grossed one hundred thirty million dollars and was nominated for like seven Academy Awards, but it was it was a piece of shit. It was just a, it was a piece of shit. It's not by any stretch of the imagination a good film and they really just should have ended the trilogy way back when there was no need to to make this movie no artistic need anyway Mm, couldn't agree with you more okay i'm gonna go on to my second one and i realize i may incur the wrath of our listeners and my co-hosts on this episode with this one um i'm going for back to the future (laughs) <laughs> right and it's yeah before you you chew me up hear me out okay so it's for me it's fair to say that back to the future one and two are two of the most cherished and fantastic sci-fi films ever made particularly the second one really is a shining example of of how good a sequel can be when comparing it to the original but part three it's not a terrible movie um, but it lacks all of the cool factor of the original two films for me. And whilst I do like some westerns, I didn't particularly enjoy that setting for this type of movie. I think it kind of limits the possibilities of what you can do in a time travel story in terms of stuff they can get up to and, and gadgets and stuff that they can explore like they did in part two, which was so great. I mean, I think it was inevitable that they were going to have to go back to the past at some point, but I didn't like where they ended up. Um, I think it was a bit of an easy way out, unfortunately. And what I think we ended up um, with, rather than a great sci-fi movie, is a bit of a substandard western instead of an epic finale to a great time travel uh, trilogy. What did you guys think of of Back to the Future? I did consider it. It's been so long. On the grounds that Back to the Future 1 and 2 are all about... It's it's more about Marty's relationship with his parents than anything else Back to Future 3 removes that from the story so it just becomes a let's go dick about in the past sort I, of film. I did them a couple of years ago and I can't I can't really argue against you Matt really actually because the first one is just perfect it is one of those masterpiece films that just were everything about that film works um but the second one, I don't love. And I do really like the third one because it's fun. Because that's the one I remember as a kid, actually. That's the one I loved as a kid, Back to the Future 3. And you find that a lot with, with people who grew up my age. It's the third one everyone loved, the Wild West, in a way. But really, only the first one is a truly great film. and So I kind of agree with you, <laughs> actually. 
Okay, fair enough. I actually really like two. I think it's it stands up for me personally. But um, yeah, I just found three a little bit on the boring side. And every time Mary Steenburgen's on screen, she absolutely grinds my gears. I think she's terribly cast for this, or it's just the character she's playing. Whatever, I just find her super annoying. Winds me up something chronic, and I find it difficult to put myself in Dot Brown shoes. Think, yes, I would time travel for this woman. This is the <laughs> one I want to, to, you know, settle down with. Ah, she's annoying as hell. Um, so, but anyway, aside from that, um, yeah, don't like it a, a great deal, at least compared to to the first two. It's not bad. It's just not on the same level, and kind of ruins the overall polish of, of the package for me. Particularly if you've got it in a DVD stroke Blu-ray box set, you probably won't watch the third one as much as the other two. Um, but at least we have the, the legendary scene at the end of the film with the kid gesturing towards his dick as a, as a timeless <laughs> meme, far more memorable than the rest of the movie, unfortunately. Do you guys know what I'm on about with that one? Yep. No. Okay, you know there's a scene at the end where uh, Marty has helped Doc... Uh, Time travel with the train, it goes off the tracks and disappears, and then suddenly it comes back and he's got his family with him. One of the kids mm-hmm. that's standing next to him on the train is making this weird gesture of his hand around his groin area. <laughs> the, the, the camera's not entirely focused on him, so you wouldn't notice it unless you're really looking, but it's become quite a famous meme online now. So um, if you like, I'll, I'll send you a link for that later, but it is it's pretty hilarious, and how it made the, the final cut is pretty ridiculous, but never mind. <laughs> But for me, that's the most memorable part of Back to the Future 3. But... I thought we were doing quite well in terms of, you know, we've had n- not very controversial movies chosen so far. And then Matt dolls out Back to the Future. So I'm going to have to get my block button ready. My block oh, button finger on. pressing practiced for Back to the Future, I think, on Twitter. Mm, okay, fair enough. <laughs> All right, I'll hand it over to, to Tony. What have you got for us, mate? Uh, my one's predictable and it's one i think everyone will uh, think we're going to come up with and it's the matrix uh oh yeah i i i think i don't think you can have a discussion about this without mentioning the matrix because if there is ever a film trilogy that should have only been one movie it is the matrix there is there is you know if you i haven't watched the matrix in a while but i'm still convinced that in nearly 20 years on it is one of the greatest science fiction films ever made because it's just a perfect blend of action, you know, mystery, enigma, tapping into the you know pre-millennial angst of everything around 1999, and the bullet time, and the action, and the kung fu, and everything. Everything's brilliant about that film. Soundtrack. Soundtrack, everything. Mm-hmm. Everything is just fucking brilliant in that film. And then you get The Matrix Reloaded, which, aside from maybe one or two scenes, specifically the, the freeway chase, which is fucking brilliant, and I would put that up there with anything in those films, actually. It's just then really boring, plodding, quasi-metaphysical, quasi-philosophical philosophical bollocks, really. I'll give you two saving graces for Matrix Reloaded. One, Monica Bellucci's cleavage. And <laughs> yeah, okay. two, the, the, the Chateau fight scene, you know, the one where they're fighting yes, on the stairway. That's the other good bit, yeah. Phenomenal. And I, and the rest, I, it gets a little bit murky. I do quite like the... Uh... <laughs> I do quite like for my sins the scene with the architect because the guff he comes out with is just it's so funny. You know. Um oh, I sometimes if I'm bored, I sometimes watch it on YouTube and have a good laugh. Um because it is quite fun. But yeah, the by the third film, 
you know, the third film again has, and I would say that the the soundtracks are really good for all of these films. Actually, the score and everything by you know by by like Juno Reactor is great and all that kind of stuff. I haven't got a problem with that. Yeah, Don Davis, Don Davis, Davis yeah, they're all that's all awesome all the way through the trilogy really. But by the time you get to Revolutions and you get this weird ending, which suggests that it hasn't ended at all that it's all cyclical that it's a big jesus metaphor and it's and the machines aren't really machines or there's it's a matrix within a matrix i'm like oh for fuck's sake just why didn't this not end with neo in that phone booth you know in the first one that's fine leave it there we don't need to see all the zion shit and all this where they're just rubbing each other and dancing to you know in caves i don't give a fuck about that just end it after the first one and uh, yeah yeah, all all the Zion scenes are painfully oh, drab. Fucking hell. and the, yeah, these those films are long as well, especially the Reloaded. It's like two and a half hours. The Matrix clocks in a, a nice hundred and ten minutes or so. Sorted, fine, that'll do. Right, yeah, they're the, the bollocks. It was from then on the Wachowskis went up their own ass and have not emerged since, unfortunately. Have any of you seen Sense Eight? Because <laughs> that is the most ponderous load of shit I have ever seen in my life by them. I tr- struggled with oh. Sense8. I, I started off thinking, oh, this is just fucking gash. And then you get hard, you get a few episodes oh. in and you're like, oh, no, there's some, there is something to this. There's, there's a bit of merit in this. I can see what they're trying to do. And then, no, I went it, off it again very it quickly. It is goff. And it is all that kind of stuff that people go, oh, yeah, it's artful. It's the new future of television. It's edgy. It's sexy. It's not. It's bollocks. Mm-mm. It's bollocks. Mm-mm. Anyway, I'll, I'll stop ranting now. <laughs> but Cloud Atlas, on the other hand, is phenomenal. Yeah. But that's got a book behind it, hasn't it? You see, so yes, that's true. Mm, yeah. What about Speed Racer? Oh well, yeah. <laughs> Speed Racer's visually very strong. Mm. There's a lot going on in terms of visuals, but story is also not. Yeah. Brian, what have you got? Um, what have you got for us, Brian? Part two. My second trilogy. I'll, if I just say the X Men films. You can decide which trilogy we're going to talk about <laughs> because they both need to not have the third film. I'll do the original. I'll do the Ian McKellen ones because okay. we all know what's wrong with the last set. Because yeah. the first X-Men film was up there with Blade. Like I said, you can actually do superheroes on screen. And it was at the time new and it was sort of groundbreaking and people got all excited for it. And then the second one was really, really good. Like, we're talking about a scene you can watch again. The... The introduction in the White House where Nightcrawler's picking off security guards. That's really good. Like you can watch it again and go, oh, this is tense, it's exciting, it's it's doing superhero stuff in a bigger way than just smashing stuff really hard. It's inventive, it had they've always got a good antagonist, like the, the Eric and Charles thing. McKellen and Stuart did it really well. Fastbender McAvoy did it really well, and then they're just kept apart by the other films for no good bloody reason. And mm. then X-Men The Last Stand is rotten. <laughs> um, they they try to do lots of films all at the same time. We'll have a film about a mutant cure, but can you cure who you are? But we're not going to do that. We'll do a film about the Phoenix Force, but we'll do it in like 15 minutes. And it didn't know what it was. It didn't know what it wanted to be. It didn't know how to do what it wanted to be. It's got nonsense bits in it, like lifting the Golden Gate Bridge up in the daylight and dropping it down in the dark for 
no good reason at all. Um, the only the only saving grace for um, X Men: The Last Stand is on the Juggernaut bitch. Yeah, but he, him as Juggernaut, Vinnie Jones just doesn't Vinnie work. Jones. He's not. He's nowhere near big enough to be Juggernaut. It's absolutely crazy. I mean, the best thing about the X Men movies in general, right from the first one. Uh, is they got the casting so right, yet they put Vinnie Jones as Juggernaut. <laughs> oh, it made me so angry. I mean, it's a great um, line, I'll, I'll grant you that. But oh, I mean, yeah. you say they got the casting right, but at the time, Hugh Jackman was not seen as the right choice. No, was it? it was controversial because we didn't know. It was going to be Degray Scott. Mm. Think about that. Yeah. <laughs> They should have got 1990s Jack Nicholson from when he did Wolf. No, he I, I immediately warned to, to Hugh Jackman because he, he got like the accent kind of right. He got the line delivery right. He, his hair looked good at the time. And I particularly liked the, the wrestler guy, who I can't remember his name, who they got to play Sabretooth. looked really good. Although like, phenomenally Lee, good. Lee Schreiber, I know it's not trilogy, but Lee Schreiber was so much better. Like He was by... Like, after... The Magnetos and Professor X is probably the best person they've cast in an X Men film. I liked how he acted. Didn't like how he looked. He didn't look anything like a saber tooth for me. I prefer the look of the guy in the first movie. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'm with you on that one. And pretty goddamn awful uh, by part three, unfortunately. I think Ryan Reynolds as Deadpool's pretty spot on. If we're talking X Men expanded oh, universe yeah. sort of films. Well, yes. In that case, he does come out number one. Mm. Um, but talking about casting, they also... James Martin signed up for Superman, where he was also being some loser whose girlfriend was getting rotted by the hero. Um, he needs a new agent. Uh, and they just <laughs> killed him off screen. Because, oh, you're going to do someone else's film. Fine. Fuck you. Mm. <sighs> it's... Oh, dear. Never mind. How, how can you have people spending millions of dollars on films and fucking it up like this. Surely it's not someone's job to look at it and say, nah, that's Should a bad idea. Be, lots of people just like to be told yes, no matter what, don't they, unfortunately, when it comes to mm-hmm. making movies. Exactly that. Let's have a big mechanical spider in it. That'll be a great idea. <laughs> and speaking of saying yes, I'm going to say yes to hearing Owen's number three, please. I am quite surprised it hasn't come up already from you in particular. Matt. Oh yeah. Because my final choice um, is Robocop. Uh, I, I did think about it but two as well as three are particularly shite so I just thought, nah. It's not, it's I, not really a trilogy in my eyes, I just like watching part one and leaving it at that. But <laughs> I don't mind part two. I think the, the second one's okay. Because the second one's written by uh, Frank Miller isn't it? Um, I don't know. Which is all about... Yeah, well it's all it, it, it's got that um, well, okay. The thing about RoboCop is that it, in as well as being a brilliant satire from you know released in and made around the mid eighties, um, it also it, it creates a dystopian world that you can that you want to see more of. You know, crime is rampant. There's you know villains every which way you look, and the the only thing that the police can do is turn to this robotic. A cyborg that it has no emotions and can carry out directives 
without any of the baggage that being a human carries with it. And so um, there's this this whole concept of it is fantastic. So I'm not knocking them for saying we can probably get more material out of this because you you probably can with the right writer. I think Frank Miller's um, written his script for uh, Robocop 2 is the closest that they've come to expanding that properly. But then, of course, you end up with Robocop 3 which is the PG movie for kiddies to sell toys, which is so far removed (laughs) from what Robocop stands for and what it was about and the reason that Paul Verhoeven made it in the first place. Um, It's just baffling. It's it's the most crazy... It's like making an exorcist for kids. (laughs) It's the equivalent of turning something that's completely 18-rated, X-rated... Not for ki- not for children. Nobody under the age of age of eighteen should really watch it too. And now we're going to sell toys of this guy. You mean like Taken? Uh, like yeah, you could do it with Taken. I mean, Taken is a twelve A. No, Taken three is a twelve A. And it's just, but uh, you know, the, the, the Taken three is just um, is just um, what's his name? Um, European Luke Besson just trying to make a bit of money whereas the the whole thing about robocop 3 was the commercialization of this thing uh, and turning it into backpacks and lunch boxes and action figures and you know i look back and i think well i had a robocop action figure i quite liked that thing when i was that age and uh that you know but at the same time it's just, it's just, it doesn't work at all. The film doesn't work. Have you seen any of the Prime Directive movies, Matt? No, no, I haven't. Okay, there were four uh, made-for-TV movies that came out in 2001 called the Prime Directives. And they try to... They, they, they're they aware that it's... The, the thing that, that can hook people in to Robocop and make him relevant is how it deals with ultraviolence. So there's a much darker tone to the Prime Directive's Ooh, TV like movies. Yeah, well, I wouldn't get your hopes up. <laughs> because it is, but it's a very badly written made for TV thing. There's some nice there's some nice aspects to it with um Maurice Dean Wint, who I guess most people will know from Cube. He's the uh, black guy, the the bad guy in Cube, the 90s sci-fi movie. Um but it, other than that, there's there's just nothing to it. We've had a RoboCop TV series, which was appalling. Um, I tried yeah, to watch. I, a bit I vaguely of it. remember seeing those when I was younger, whilst I was waiting for the late night porn to start. <laughs> <laughs> They're very Channel Five, aren't they? But um, I mean, I can sort of remember watching them as a kid, but thinking not much of it. And I tried to rewatch them again when I went on a bit of a Robocop binge a few years back and just couldn't even make it to the first episode. Not even the pilot episode I could, I could get all the way through. It's just, they should not exist is the problem I have with these. Ethic, not well, ethically sounds very snobbish because, but you know what I mean? It's just like, it's not, it's not Robocop anymore. They diluted it to the point that it's not recognisable as being a part of that series. So that's that's my main beef with it. Not the fact that a Robocop trilogy exists or series exists, um, but just that what they did to it, they should not have they should not have gone down that route. It's like having low fat ice cream 
If you want ice cream, <laughs> have ice cream. Yes. If you want something low fat, have something else. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of the over-commercialization of, of Robocop, did you ever see the instance when he appeared in WCW wrestling? I did, with Sting. Yeah. He was Sting's tag team partner. That, that's something. the beginning of the end. As cool as that was for wrestling fans at the time, um, you knew no good was going to come of Robocop after he appears in professional wrestling. <laughs> I think it, that was just before WCW became like the... They took over from WWE. Yeah, it was still in the dark ages, unfortunately, but that was kind of prodding it in the right direction. Yeah, exactly. They were still trying to combat the Hulk, Hulkamania, weren't they? So they thought, oh no, we'll bring in Robocop. Nope, yeah. didn't Good work. wholesome family view in there. Stuff. <laughs> okay, I'm going to go on to my, my final choice. Um, um, I'm going to be using some slight creative license here by even including this as part of a trilogy. Um, I'm going to talk about Predator. <laughs> Uh, okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm not referring to AVP in this at all because whilst they're loosely connected, they're not sequels. Um, the third movie, of course, is Predators, starring Adrian Brody, and it's one of those movies that I class as so bad that I absolutely love it. It's a it's a real guilty pleasure, but it's it shouldn't be part of this trilogy. It should have stopped at part two, absolutely. Um, and it's definitely canon because it, it is referred to... Uh, the events of the first movie during during the film, um, and it tries very hard in certain places to to copy uh, the original Predator formula. It basically ignores the fact that Part Two ever happened, uh, and tries to mimic certain aspects of the first film in, in terrible uh, results, unfortunately. Um, but as a fan of the first two, particularly the first one, it's one of the greatest films ever. For me, um, it it does play good fan service. Uh, it's a movie that, if it was made by fans, i.e., if it was made by someone like me, I would be proud of making it. But for something that has such a large budget and it's been directed by someone as good as Robert Rodriguez, it's pretty shit, unfortunately. Um, that said, though, um, it's one of those ones that if I'm drinking on a Friday or Saturday night and it's on, I'm definitely watching it without a shadow of a doubt. Same as Predator and Predator Two. I'll still watch them, but uh, the trilogy, for lack of a better word, should have been cut at number two, and this one probably shouldn't have got made, although I am very much looking forward to Shane Black's new movie when that comes out. Yeah, I was going to say, that's probably the only thing that's uh, that's going to save them, as a, <laughs> because it's Shane Black. I mean, yeah, that's they've what got one wants, last shot at this before people completely give up on, on Predator as a franchise because they've had their fingers bit too many times now. Um, mm-hmm. AVP 1 and 2 are dreadful. Uh, and this one, it's it's okay, but it's it's not on the kind of calibre of particularly 1 and, and possibly 2, depending on what you think of that. But uh, Well, yeah. I, I re-watched Predator 2 yesterday evening, um, thinking, you know, I might, I might be able to sneak pre, uh, Predator onto my 3. Um because I loved the, the first one as much as you do, I think. But Pre- Predator 2 is... I didn't enjoy it this time. Really? I, I, I've so worn to boring. it over the years because when I was younger and I grew up watching Predator and loving it from day one, mm-hmm. I didn't take to Predator 2 so much. One, because it wasn't in the jungle, and two, it didn't have Arnold Schwarzenegger in it. Um, so I just kind of dismissed it as just not being good enough purely for those reasons. And then over the years, I've watched it again and I actually think, you know what? Forget over the fact that on on Schwarzenegger's in it, 
I actually really like this film and and Danny Glover deserves a lot more credit for being the leading guy in this. He's a lot better mm-hmm. than uh, than people give him credit for in this. It's just that you can't live up to that original Dutch character played by Arnold Schwarzenegger in the first one. It's just yeah. like the perfect man movie and the perfect alpha male character, if you like. So anything below that isn't good enough in the eyes of most fans, but I really like Predator 2 now. It's it's grown on me over the years. I've come to, to take it more at face value, so that's good enough for I, me. Yeah, I think the, the, the interesting thing there that you mentioned is about the sort of machismo, the machismo, whatever you want to call it, that, that permeates all through both those two original movies, because in it's almost like it's a separate world to this one. There is There are two types of men in Predator. There's the big butch alpha male you know completely stocked up on muscles and you know squirting steroids into his morning coffee sort of guy (laughs) alongside the nerdy gets trodden on by everybody is a bit of a wisecracking character that those are the only two characters that exist in the the first two movies even including the um female character in it she's not a woman she is the another alpha male she just happens to be female it's just they're, they're very much divided into different sorts so um it's it yeah i i kind of didn't enjoy it at all i i liked little things about it without actually enjoying the experience of sitting through it predators i kind of liked i also i did like to a certain extent alien versus predator i think the the first one is has some merit to it Whereas Requiem is just, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> we talk, we've talked about some shit films on the podcast this week, but yeah, none quite as bad as uh, Alien vs. Predator 2. No, the only thing I like about AVP is the Genesis story is actually quite interesting. Yeah. That, that their base humans are alien weapons genetically modified by Predators. And so that, well, that pretty much pre- gets... Nicked by Ridley Scott for Prometheus. He yeah. uses a very yeah. similar idea. Um, well, it's all in the same kind of universe, isn't it? So, remotely well, I speaking. Think, I think, yeah, I think technically the AVP films are part of the Predator canon, but not part of the Alien series, which is weird. Mm. But, but they share these characteristics, like you say. So oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There is a, a degree of consistency, even if it's not quite on the same canon, as you say. But anyway... Sure. Predator should have had two movies and then Shane Black could have finished the trilogy, but never mind. So, Tony, uh, what's your third trilogy for the pan? Well, I think I've got to go for another big one, really. And it's one that was alluded to at the beginning, and it's the Star Wars prequels. <laughs> now, uh, you see, the, the thing with this is, it, it's it's the question of whether or not they should have been made at all. You know, because the, it's not the case that there was a good first film and then they went downhill. There was a terrible first film. There was an even more terrible second film, and then there was a marginally less terrible third film. <laughs> um, you know, because I, if I had to rank them, I would say Revenge of the Sith one, Phantom Menace two, Attack of the Clones, Christ three, because it's terrible. <laughs> um, and you know, you have to kind of look at this as opposed to not you know, one great film and two bad ones, but three films that were misjudged in the extreme, you know, and, and 
obviously, you know, it's been proven by The Force Awakens, slightly divisive as it is, the majority of people have enjoyed it. You know, they might not think it's brilliant, but they've enjoyed it. Far more than The Phantom Menace, which everyone, you know, Empire gave it five stars when it first came out. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, famous, that yeah. review, you know, isn't it? It's hilarious. Um, but, you know, immediately everyone went, it's Star Wars, it's brilliant. And then about a month later, they went, oh, no, it's not shit, apart from the pod race and the last lightsaber <laughs> battle. Um, and all three of those films have just got moments, probably except, actually, no, the Attack of the Clones does have one moment in it when Yoda fights Count Dooku. Christopher Lee at the end, which... Oh, I hate that. Well, I like it. I, hate I like that. it simply for the fact that Yoda's a con artist because he, he wanders in with his stick, really good, and then he's flipping about, and then he gets then then he gets back on his stick again and wanders out. He's basically, you know, on the make, Yoda, all the way through. But, like, it's I like that. It's quite for my sins. And then Revenge of the Sith does have certain good bits, and it's a, it is a better constructed film, but they are all just really badly put together in that there's no charm, there's too much CGI, the acting's wooden, the script is wooden, the direction is lifeless, and you you sit through them all, you know, and I did them before The Force Awakens, I did all six films again, and you sit through them all and you think, what was the point, apart from making money, and of course it made tons, but creatively, what was the point, and how did you get this so wrong? Because the story's really good. You know, the whole rise of Darth Vader is brilliant. It's a great mythological story. And it's so badly done that you can't quite fathom how George Lucas fucked this up so much. I'm going to channel Steve Norman now and say, <laughs> Trade embargoes! Trade embargoes! <laughs> That's what ruined it. Can you imagine if they'd started off at episode one in the 70s? We wouldn't be talking about Star Wars yeah. at all because no one would have given a fuck about it Mm -hmm. because whilst it eventually achieves greatness subjectively unless you're you're Owen of course um, the the overarching theme of the first movie is really dull and uninteresting it's only that you know where it's eventually leading to that you even find it interesting that we know a sinister plot yeah it it became the highest grossing film of all time though the original of course, it's, but it's all it was, hype. It's it nothing to loved. do with the quality of the of, of the film. But anyway, uh, I have a lot to 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 be grateful for um, the Phantom Menace because it got me my first job. I started <laughs> working at a certain cinema's call centre, taking midnight bookings over the phone for for the Phantom Menace. So nice. I'll always like it. It's but, the, the uh, downside of Jurassic Park being so good, though. That yeah. was uh, what convinced George Lucas to make the Star Wars yeah. prequels. If if it, and this going back to this um, Dennis Murren guy, if he hadn't have been if he hadn't have done such a good job with Jurassic Park, there would have been no prequels. Surely yeah, so that that sounds I, that's metatextual because we have the technology to do something, but should we do it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I can make I can make the prequels infinitely better for you if you want. Go on then. Jar Jar Binks is a Sith Lord. <laughs> Honestly, you watched the, the, the originally there was a plan to twist it around and have Jar Jar Binks be a Sith. Oh, you joking? He was secretly working them. Mm-hmm. There's um, it might, I don't know if it's a, just a fan theory, but I believe that it was an actual plan that they scrapped after the first movie. But you can see the threads of it because some of the things that he does, 
in the Phantom Menace, like he's mouthing words that the actors are then saying. So he's making his fellow, he makes Ewan McGregor's, um, is it Ewan McGregor's character or whether it's Qui-Gon Jinn or someone, he makes them say stuff. So you're watching, huh. And some of the tricks that he does, they show you, are actually what Sith lords are doing. It's the same (laughs) moves that they're doing. Bloody hell. So there you go. There's a little thread hidden away in those films. Jar Jar brings the Sith Lord in control of everything. He's a shit lord. I don't know about Sith. If you want to make clones watchable, then just skip every scene with Anakin and Padme. Just follow Obi-Wan, and then you'll get reunited at the arena. It cuts about 40 minutes of the film, and it's the worst 40 minutes. But the Obi-Wan stuff, his detective story's not terrible. Mm, I quite like looking at Natalie Portman, though, so that would be a waste of time. (laughs) But anyway... Very good choice there, Tony. Uh, Brian, what's your final trilogy of despair? Can I do one that's gone beyond the trilogy? Yeah, of course. Yeah. All right. Pirates of the Caribbean. Oh, that was almost okay. my choice, that was. Yeah. Because the, the first one was really good. The second one, it's like they went, they, they sat down and said, what made the first one good? This, this, and this. Well, we'll do it, but we'll do it all again, but bigger. And you can tell they're trying to remake the first one, but like 50% more exciting or adventurous. And then the third one just fell in love with itself and got a bit weird. Like if you stop after, if you find a way to wrap the second one up, because it's good to have Davy Jones. Bill Nye's Davy Jones is really good. I quite like his snarling sort of voice in the presence. That's creepy. But the the whole thing with the, the big pirate clan meeting and Keira Knightley's now a pirate Melinda Bloom's now <laughs> dead but only one day of the year <laughs> it's I know it's a silly film they're all silly films that's part of the charm and part of the charm is also the, the double crossing and the who's doing what now and I thought it was this but now it's this way and all that all makes sense but the third one ties itself up in knots and not in any sort of interesting or charming way. It, it runs out of puff a bit. All of them make a shitload of money, the Pirates of the Caribbean films. Someone out there that's, seems to like them. That's why number five's coming out. Oh. But I, I saw the first one because my local cinema, like we've got an independent cinema in my town, and they do Wednesday 11 o'clock showings, and they had Pirates of the Caribbean, and people queued out in the middle of the street so they ran it again next Wednesday and next Wednesday and next four nights four weeks in a row they had sold out Pirates of the Caribbean and it, it's not because it was fun it was exciting like if, if you're in a student town which I am you go watch Pirates oh, it's fun um, and then it ran <laughs> It became kind of self-consciously fun. Like, what do kids like? Kids like this. I will do this then. So, okay. It was better when you were effortless. It's like, if you go off and try to be cool, like, what, what do cool kids do? I will do a cool thing. No, you're not cool. You just are or aren't. The first Pirates was fun because it just did its stuff. The second Pirates worked out, ah, that worked. We'll do more of that. And the third Pirates went, what do focus groups say they liked? We'll do this one. 
Fair point. Yeah, the first one is very good. Um, I didn't care for any of them after that. I think I'd gotten bored of all the characters by that point, despite... or, In fact, yeah, they're just bad, aren't they? Two and three, just not very good. I can drum on about how much the Captain Jack Sparrow character is great and Johnny Depp does such a great job of it. But he does I such a good job. Film. He did it in all his other films as well. <laughs> yeah, any Tim Burton film, blah, 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 yeah. But... Um, I, I really liked the first one, but I had my fill of that world, if you like, after that, and just didn't get any sense of enjoyment out of the, the other two. I think it sums up for me. I think it's in the second one. This is where things start to get really weird, and where I knew I'd had enough. There's a scene whereby um, Jack Sparrow's running away from somebody or other, and he's like doing a hamster wheel thing. Yes. I think it's the second one. And I'm just like, really? This, this is supposed to be enjoyable to watch. This isn't funny. It's not clever. And I'm bored now. And that's why I was surprised when I said, oh, that's a bit weird that they're showing Pirates of the Caribbean. Cause, not because the first one isn't very good, because it is. That I'm surprised people are still so interested in that series, given how bad the sequels are. But... Well, the, I guess the fourth one said to clinging on to to such a great first film. Have you seen the fourth one? No, no, it's, I wouldn't dream of it. It's quite boring, and it's it's a sort it's a sort where all the all the good actors have gone, so they just bring in some of the big ones, and all we'll get Penelope Cruz in. She can be a sexy pirate. It's not very good. Well, I think that wraps it up quite nicely. So let's have a listen to what some of our listeners chose for their bad trilogies that they wanted to share with us. Do you want to read some of these out? Yeah, we had a few through uh, Facebook. We had Martin Cross, who suggested The Mummy. So they quite liked one and two, but three is a turd. <laughs> so um... <laughs> I, I agree with that. I agree with three that. Three the Scorpion King. Three is the one with Jet Li and Michelle Yeoh in it. So where's the Scorpion King falling with that, or is that completely different? It's a spin-off. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yep. We also had uh, Amy Saxby. She uh, said through Facebook, The Matrix should have stopped at one. So she's uh, on our side on that one, it sounds like. Um, John Miller, the co-host of our sister podcast, Character Unlock, uh, he said, In before Owen says Star Wars. Well, there you go, John. I didn't say Star Wars. Someone else said Star Wars. Um, he said, my vote is on the Cornetto trilogy. Which yes. is an interesting choice. It's because the third one is also rotten. Yeah. <laughs> the first one's all right. Hot Fuzz is magic. Yeah. Like The, fir- the first one is all right. Shaun yeah. of the Dead. Shaun of the Dead's all right. But if, if I'm, it's not as good as Hot Fuzz. If I'm channel hopping and Hot Fuzz is on, it doesn't matter where it is in the film, I'm watching it to the end. Yeah. Same. Hot Fuzz is the best, mm. without question. He also, I think quite controversially, uh, controversially, said Fast and Furious shouldn't have gone past second. Which I think is a strange choice, because as far as I'm aware, mm. five and six are meant to be the best ones in that series, aren't they? Yeah, the Seven's problem really was, good. though, that it, it went as well. really far south before it recovered again. So, yeah, first one's good, and then you had two, three, Tokyo Drift was a bit meh. 
uh, whilst they were waiting for Vin Diesel to realise he's not big enough to be doing films outside of Fast and the Furious. <laughs> and then they came back and did Five, Six, and Seven, which were all pretty good. So mm. I kind of get where he's coming from mm. there. They kind of, to me, they're two different trilogies almost. Yeah. Uh, you have the the first few where the first one's the only good one, and then Five, Six, and Seven are, are all pretty good. Uh, we also had uh, Adam Massingham said the Crow and Blade films. The Crow, well, Aww. sure, obviously, because, well, The Crow is great, but the sequels are not. <laughs> you know, there's certain Aww. ones where you just know you, that you shouldn't watch them. Mm. And it's like, how can you do The Crow without Brandon Lee? It's exactly. like, I never, I love The Crow. It's, it's very highly rated in my all-time sort of list. I've never been compelled to watch any of the sequels, so I just know it's not right. No. Just just shouldn't have happened. Although they're remaking it, aren't they? <sighs> Nothing is sacred. Probably. <laughs> they remake um, Point Break, they remake The Crow. Yeah. I think he's right about... Adam's one of my best mates. He's right about Blade, I think, mm-hmm. definitely. I think I think he's that's a good one. Well, Blade, Blade 2 is, like, what, meant to be the best in those series? It's been so long since I watched them. Um, yeah, yeah I think even Blade that's not as good as. Pump. Oh, Blade 3's terrible. Did, terrible. When when he said The Crow and Blade, it reminded me of From Dust Till Dawn as well. Have you saw, any of you guys seen the sequels to that? Because the TV show's no. been a sort of sleeper hit, hasn't it? But Yeah, I've not watched that show. either. There's a TV series, yeah. Is it in his third season yeah. now? I think. See, yep. I, I'd only ever seen. Somehow I'd only ever seen like, the first half of Dust Till Dawn. And I didn't believe. I didn't right. believe when folks said it was a vampire film. No, it's, it's two guys taking hostages. Yeah. What are you talking it's, about? This is a very dramatic twist, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The the third one is just a western with vampires. It's barely even connected. Oh. Mm. Um, we also had through Twitter uh, Andrew Brooker, who couldn't be here. He gave us a whole raft of them. He said The Matrix, Scream, Shrek. The Matrix, Blade, Robocop, Terminator, <laughs> The Matrix, Superman, Rambo, and The Matrix. Oh, and Star Wars, is what he said. Um, a couple that the ter- uh, the Terminator films for sure, because Rise of the Machines is garbage. Again, it's... another one I never felt compelled to watch. It's a Rise Rise of the Machines is fine. Oh, it's, it's, it's not, not as. <laughs> It, it, no, it is. I mean, it compared. It's nothing, obviously, compared to the first two, which are just classics. It's fine. It's Salvation's the one that's bollocks. Salvation's you bollocks. Know, yeah. Salvation is the really bad one. Oh, well, actually, no, Genesis as well is absolute shit. Gen- so Genesis Rise is... of the Machines isn't as bad as them. Genesis yeah, but... is much better than, than Rise of the Machines. Rise of the Machines is absolutely appalling. It's like the no. worst Michael Bay sort of film. No, no, no. Rise of the Machines has got a great set piece involving that that chase through the freeway with that thing, and then it's got a really brave ending, you know, where they just fucking nuke everything. It's great. Oh well, yeah. Genesis is shite, There's... you know, from start <laughs> to finish. Yeah. Um, we also had Catherine at Lady KK on Twitter. X Men. Nothing happened after the first one. They kind of rescued it with Future Past, but then it got lame again. Um. The Twilight Saga, as they should have never even released the first one. <laughs> <laughs> and she said, Species. I remember watching the first one before oh, I was old enough and saw species. a follow-up recently, which was terrible. Yeah. I think she Species is one of those watch. things... Species is one of those things that when you were 15 and you knew you could get some tits, 
<laughs> great. I'm not sure if that's why um, Catherine was watching it, but maybe. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, we have uh, Paul Field, of course, also sent in some suggestions. He almost got us kicked off Twitter permanently, I think, for suggesting <laughs> Harry Potter. That did not go down well. Oh, He's correct, yeah. though. <laughs> yeah. Um, he said Lord of the Rings as well. That also did not go down particularly no. well. Um, no, I disagree as well. I think Lord of the Rings. What's he on about? Yeah, yeah. Harry Potter maybe because I've never seen them, but Lord of the Rings for sure. He also said Spider Man. Very good show. Yep. Yeah, I was going to do that one. That's a good one. Yep. Mm. Jaws. <laughs> uh, <laughs> for obvious reasons, I guess. <laughs> Beverly Hills Cop, which um, is a. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Yeah. Although, although, although I think the second one is the best. Hmm. Um, but yeah, yeah, I, I think he's right there. I think that's a fair one. It's not the most offensive trilogy in the world, though, is it? No, no, not really. Uh, one that might be for fans of it is Home Alone that he's chosen. I can't. Even, <laughs> I don't think I've even seen the other two. Oh, um, there's like four or five of them. Yes. Yeah. Apparently so. Yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> Uh, he said Ghostbusters, which I think is stretching the term trilogy somewhat. He's, he's right though. So Ghostbusters two is shit, and, uh, and, and it's one. It's another one of those things that people go, oh, "It's great." It's not. <laughs> you know. So no, I agree with that. Okay, fair enough. He said Men in Black as well. Um, Karate Kid. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, you're scraping <laughs> the bottom of the, the list here. Hangover, Rambo, and American Pie. Rambo, I would have said yeah. if we could have skipped Rambo 3. No, wait, I wouldn't have said if we could skip Rambo 3 because Rambo from two, 2008? Or was it better? Yeah. It's good. It's harrowing. Yeah, it's I good. like that, yeah. Mm. yeah. Um, I like all the, the Rambo films, to be honest. Yeah? Rambo yeah, 3 bad. is the film that Sylvester Stallone said he was in the best shape of his life for. And you watch him and he's like... Bone and muscle and nothing else. Yeah, he is a machine, and he in that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it also makes you think a little bit about the sort of modern day uh, situation in the Middle East. Does it the whole relationship with the Mujahideen and everything? And it is kind <laughs> of like, oh, this is topical. Okay. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Um, I think Owen's response there was brilliant. Does it? <laughs> <laughs> and then, oh, shut up. <laughs> we had Steve F. For, who is at Upper Tier Steve, said, wrong turn. And I think the horror film franchise, we touched on it a little bit, a teensy tiny bit with Child's Play and possibly the Robocop um, choice, but we never really went into the horror franchise. They're the, that's the the genre that has the like that relies heavily on pumping out sequel after sequel after sequel. Mm, well, that's think a triple build for another day, I think. Yeah, we could just do a, just a solely this kind of triple build just about the horror films. We had, because James Diamond chipped in with a few. He said, Final Destination, Halloween. Mm. I, f- I would disagree with Final Destination. I think a couple of the, I mean, Final Destination 5 is fine. It's probably better than any <laughs> of the ones between I mean, you know, one. There was a trilogy, never mind, yeah. five. There's the Final Destination. I think there's well, a Final Destination me. 3D. Yeah, there's tons of them. Yeah. Uh, Halloween, he said. Yep, fair enough. Although, yeah, no, there's no, there's no argument there. Is that Saw uh, could have definitely stopped after three? Saw got indeed. Got yeah, a bit, got a bit silly. Got the first two great, and then it got. Bleh. Yeah. Uh, he also suggested Alien. 
Now, that did pop into my head, and it's just because the first two are so good. It's not that three's bad. Yeah, I agree. Mm. I would agree with that. Uh, Predator, he said as well. Uh, He said Jurassic Park, although I enjoyed Jurassic World. And Taxi, the French version. (laughs) Oh, the French one. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Our pals at uh, Sudden Double Deep at SDD Film Podcast said Robocop, Robocop, a thousand times Robocop. <laughs> uh, I had already chosen Robocop before they said that, but I was in uh, you know, full agreement with them over that. And lastly, we had uh, Maya Brooker, Andrew Brooker's wife, who I'm sure she loves being referred to as that. She said... Uh, <laughs> <"Dum-> <laughs> I'm famous for being a podcaster's wife. <laughs> she said Dumb and Dumber. I think that counts. Um... I guess so. A non-canonical trilogy. Uh, Yeah, yeah. so there we go. A couple of other ones. I was glad nobody came up with Rocky. Nobody said Rocky, thank God. Um, Nobody said Die Hard either. Which, because I'm assuming because they wanted to stop after it became a trilogy. Yeah, the first three Die Hards are good. The second second one's not great. And the third one's Mm. not very Die Hard. Because the point of Die Hard is it's one guy... Out of his depths in a very small space, and then you yeah. give him lots of police and a partner, put him in a massive state or city, and then you take it out the city. Yeah, well that's it, isn't it? Because the first one's in a hotel, second one's in a airport, third one is in a city, the fourth one's in a state, and the fifth one's in Russia. So hmm, they need to reverse that. Well, no, they don't need to reverse. They just need to stop. Just stop it. Um, Another one I thought that someone might suggest but we didn't get was uh, Nolan's Batman trilogy. Because I know a lot oh. of people out there hate Dark Knight Rises. It's not very so good. wrong. They're so wrong. It's a brilliant film. It's, it's good. A brilliant film. It's a great trilogy. It is. It yeah. really is a great trilogy. Um, but yeah, uh, other than that, I mean, were there any others that you guys thought off the top of your head initially and then immediately crossed out or had to really deliberate over including or leaving out? Debbie does Dallas trilogy. <laughs> well, obviously, obviously yeah, yeah. We all we all have that very, dilemma. <laughs> I was very tempted to say Big Mama's house. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think the fact that you didn't might say more about you than uh, <laughs> suggests that you enjoyed them all. But mm, you know, no comment, no comment. You're not going to get me on that one. Yeah. <laughs> I think we've we've covered loads there. So Exhausted thanks it, yeah. for all the uh, the listener suggestions, folks. Keep those coming on Twitter when we next do a triple bill. Always very interesting to hear. So before we round things up, we're going to leave you with a recommendation on what to watch this coming week. So I'll start things off since it's topical. Can, sorry, can I? Can I? Ju- are we do? Are we? Are we doing Inferno? No, we're not. No. Okay. Fine. Cool. Sorry, right. sorry, Matt. I'm gonna leave that in though. <laughs> we, nice, uh, nice one, Tony. I, I saw it. I saw it. Can I? Can I? Can I just quickly review it very, very quickly? <laughs> if you like, Su- super quickly. You can, yeah, put this in the stinger and it's fine. Okay, right? an inferno review sh- stinger this week. Mm. Okay, it's shit. <laughs> Great. That's it. <laughs> shit inferno. Nice one. Okay. Yeah. Uh, were you surprised right. that it was shit or? Um, no, nope. uh, no, actually, do you know what? Do you know what? It's the best one of the three, but it's still shit. So make yeah. of that what you will. That one definitely goes in the, this, this, 
bad film trilogy thing. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, there you go. Okie dokie. Alright, so we're going to leave you with a recommendation on what to watch this coming week. And topical, because we've been discussing it just in our triple bill, I'm going for Robocop, which is on Sky Cinema this coming Sunday at 11pm. Owen, have you got an excellent suggestion? Uh, I hope so, because uh, all I've got to go on is the series that came before it. Um, I'm picking Black Mirror, which season three of gets added to Netflix on Friday, the uh, the 21st of October. Um, I rewatched episode two from the first series last night, uh, 15 Million Merits, which is by far and away one of the greatest episodes of television ever made. And um, it's really put me back in the mood to, to watch um, more of it. I, I was hoping to play through all of them again before... Before series three gets added, but I don't think that's going to be possible now. So I'm just going to go straight into it as soon as it's on there on Friday. Really looking forward to this. Good stuff. Uh, Brian, what would you like to recommend? I'll recommend Whiteout, the Kate Beckendale film about... She plays a US Marshal in an Antarctic research station. Sorry, and she's got to solve a murder before the sun sets for the next six months. It didn't go down particularly well when it was released, but... It's not bad. Wow, that sounds quite intriguing. That sounds like a good one if you're short of options, a bit like Tony. Uh, <laughs> I have, I have, I have thought of something. Um, if you want a a a quick and easy, fairly average but okay watch, watch um, what used to be called Bastille Day and he's now called The Take on DVD with uh, Idris Elba and uh, Rob Stark from Game of Thrones, um, running around Paris. Uh, stopping bombers and Idris, Idris Elba basically just plays Luther. You know, he, he talks like that. He's a hard edge cop and he's on the edge. Oh, no, he's got an American accent actually. He's American. He's, he's a hard edge cop and he's on the edge. Yeah. He's a hard edge cop and he's on. I can't even do the accent. Anyway, yeah, it's Idris Elba kicking people's heads in. <laughs> that was Done. awful. Oh my goodness. That's terrible. Anyway, that's terrible. That should leave you with plenty of options to watch. Um, if you run out of things to watch in the meantime, be sure to tune in next week where we'll probably have some more ill-advised suggestions for you. Until then, bye-bye. The Failed Critics Podcast is presented by Steve Norman and Owen Hughes, created by James Diamond, with original music provided by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com, remixed by James Yule of JamesYule.com. You can find us at failedcritics.com, on Twitter at failedcritics, and Facebook at facebook.com forward slash failedcritics. Thanks for listening. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.